Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Weinstein, and let me welcome you back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories podcast. Today's program has long been in the making, and I am thrilled to have the most decorated USA Paralympic athlete and her dad today on the program. I'm talking about Grace Norman Taylor, who has earned three medals during the past two Paralympic Games, a gold and silver in the paratriathlon, and a bronze medal in the 400-meter race. Grace's dad, Tim, is athletic and a very competitive triathlete himself, and he currently serves as a distinguished professor of mechanical and biomedical engineering at Cedarville University. Let's now go to my conversation with Grace Norman Taylor and Tim Norman on the Cedarville Stories podcast. Grace, our listeners may have noticed that when I introduced you as Grace Norman Taylor, that you recently got married. When did this happen? It happened August 2022. So just last year, we've been married, I guess, a little over a year now. How's it going? It's good. Yeah, it's been really fun. My husband is, his name is Evan, and he is a professional trumpet player, and he's getting his PhD at Indiana University um, in jazz studies. So it's very different than my lifestyle, right. but <laughs> he's he's a great partner. He supports me. You like him, Tim? <laughs> I do like him. <laughs> he's a great guy. Everything Grace said and more, actually. Really good guy. So for those who may not know Grace's story, she was born with a congenital band syndrome, which resulted in the amputation of her left leg and, and right big toe at birth. For some people, this disability would be devastating, but for Grace, it appears that she's taken this situation and turned it into an opportunity. Is that how you feel about it, Grace? Yeah, I mean, it's just my life, you know? Um, right. I guess, like, I'm sure it was different from, like, a parent's perspective of, like, seeing a kid that wasn't, like, quote-unquote perfect. But um, for me, like, I, I didn't know anything different. And so instead of, you know, using it as an excuse or um, a reason I couldn't do it, I just decided that I was going to live my life I wanted to. I've never let it stop me. I've never let it be a roadblock. It's more of a, if anything, it's a conversational piece in a way to kind of get my story out there. And now it's given me so many different opportunities that I don't know I would have had if right. I would have been born, you know, normal or with two feet. I think that's a great perspective. And you, you mentioned, you don't know what, uh, you know, the view from a parent's perspective. And I want to turn that to, to your dad, Tim. So I've heard Grace in do a lot of interviews and she's cited that, you and Robin just treated her like your other two daughters. And you guys are very sports oriented, very competitive family. When you recall those early days of Grace's birth, how did you respond to the fact that her leg was going to be amputated and her right toe was going to be amputated as well? It was a surprise. It was, um, wasn't amputated. She was born that way. Okay. Yeah. And ultrasounds, ultrasound had those, parts there. And so we had seen the ultrasound, everything looks good as you normally get those reports from the docs and okay, great. And then when she's born, we found out they weren't there. Oh wow. We found out just when she was born, they <laughs> took her away, they cleaned her up and they brought her back. And the doctor says, well, I, I got to show you a couple things here. And I'll be honest with you, it was a shocker. I mean, we didn't expect that. No, you thought everything was going well. To learn that right and the most happy time you have to, to hear that news uh, it was kind of a shocker, and it did take us a while. And if it wasn't for a lot of brothers and sisters in Christ coming alongside of us and yeah. in those early days to help us formulate a perspective, it would have been even rougher. It wasn't so easy in the beginning, but it didn't take long for us to feel 
uh, God's presence in the situation and start to recoup and say, how are we going to, how are we going to do this going forward? Having several conversations with my wife and deciding what our plan was going to be and how we were going to approach this. After a while, that became very easy to do, but at first it was unexpected and hard, hard to do. From all, all accounts, you guys have handled it really, really well. And Grace would agree. And, and that's where I want to go now. You know, obviously this was your life. This was your normal. So there was nothing abnormal about you. How did your parents' love and leadership help you? Yeah, I think like they basically treated me as the same as them. So like there wasn't really a distinction between, I didn't even know the words of like, you know, disabled, able-bodied because I never really, they didn't talk about it. Like they obviously, they didn't glaze over the fact that I was missing a foot, but they didn't treat me as like, oh, you poor thing. Or like, we got to be more careful because, you know, Grace is here. Or like, we can't do this. It was like, not like you're sisters are playing soccer. We're going to go play soccer. Like, and it wasn't like I ever didn't want to do something because of my prosthetic. It was, okay, I want to do this. How, and I would look to them, how can we make this work? How can we find the right prosthetic? How can we find, you know, the different tools like duct tape breaks, you know? And so they were always just like, all right, like let's, they kind of let me live and lead my life. They led with like, this is our family. This is what we're doing as far as like sports and being active and having that like go get a mentality. And I think I was born that way too, just very competitive, but it's yeah. also like they did a really good job cultivating in the family of like, we, we play sports, like that's what we do. And like, yeah. and so, but then they were always, and still to this day, really good sounding boards of, okay, if you want to do this, let's figure out how we're going to do this with you know, getting the right prosthetics, finding a way to do it, yeah. finding insurance for me and to get the right prosthetic, the right feet and making sure I was taken care of throughout my entire journey growing up as an athlete in their home. There wasn't ever a roadblock of you can't do this because you can't get this foot. Yeah. You know, like that, that was never, which I'm very blessed. Like just looking at that from now where I am as I'm becoming more on my own, getting to the point where I'm going to be on my own insurance and, and thinking about that, like, if I, like, you know, I want to be that example for my children is like, right. you never, you never want to be a roadblock to them. I mean, you right. want to make, like, I will fight for you. And that's basically what they did. And yeah. they still do. That was like a huge example growing up. And now just like how I want to be going forward. As long as you set your mind to it and you find that community members around you that you, and the resources you need, like yeah. you can accomplish anything. So for our listeners who may not know what makes up a triathlon, I'd like to move into that uh, part of the conversation. It's a race that includes a 750 meter swim, a 20 kilometer bike ride, and a five kilometer run. As I mentioned in the introduction, uh, Grace, your dad has competed in triathlons. Actually, I think he told me he's an Ironman triathlon triathlete. That's correct. That's he impressive. Is. That's I that know. sets you at a higher level, right? It does. At a high level. What what what, <laughs> what does that mean, Tim? It's a uh, 140.6, so it's a 2.2-mile swim, 112-mile bike. Oh, my goodness. And it's a marathon after that. Can, I can't even imagine running a marathon now. No. And then after all of that, like, that's really impressive. It's I can months dri- of training. I can, dri- I can drive my car 112 miles. <laughs> so are you still doing that? I still do that on a recreational training level, but not at that level. Those different events, but uh, I had to back off of the Ironman levels it's really a hard thing to continue to do as you get older. I, so, I would think. Yeah. So Grace, with that example, is that how you got interested in sports or where did the sports interest come for you? I can't even remember a time where we didn't have sports in our life. Like 
he was a swimmer. My mom was a runner right. growing up. And so like, that's what they did, I guess, like when they're married, they, you know, that was, that was their lifestyle. They were an active lifestyle. They loved pursuing that. And so like with their kids, they wanted to, to be the example of like, you be active, you move your body. And so like, we would go on, you know, family bike rides, family runs. We all played, you know, the peewee soccer and t-ball and basketball. Like I, can't remember a time without sport. And then he got into triathlon. I don't know what year you started. 2010. Okay. Yeah. So then I started looking at that and I had done like, I was competing in, I think like middle school at that time, maybe, or like sixth grade cross country. So I was running. We all, you know, figured out like he was a swimmer. He wanted that background in us. So we, we were swimming. Um, and I was like, I'm sure I could figure out biking. Like I know how to bike, you know, I'll just be fine. And watching him race was super cool because it was three different disciplines. Before that, it's yeah. like, you know, you play one sport, you have one game, you have one race. Right. And it's, you know, one thing. And I was like, that is so cool. Like you get to swim and then you get to run up this hill, you know, from the water into you get on your bike and then you then you run and then you're done. And I thought it was really cool and it was really interesting to me. So then I was like, hmm, that'd be that'd be fun to try. <laughs> and that's what you're doing. Yeah, and now it's become my my career, my life. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in seventh grade back at Legacy Christian in Xenia, I think I heard that's when you discovered running really for yourself. Is, is that true? And, and how did you find running to be interesting and enjoyable? Yeah, like I grew up running. Um, I My mom was the cross-country and track coach for, um, I went to Xenia Christian, which is now Legacy Christian. Right. Um, and so she was the cross-country and track coaches. So that's just what we did. My older sister was a runner. Um, and so I just followed in her footsteps. So I started running in middle school and I was running on a very... Um, it was a non-sport prosthetic. It was yeah. not what they have now, what they're putting kids in now. I, I again, didn't know any different because I just grew up doing that. Right. Um, and like I wasn't going to take no for an answer. So from an outside point of view, I was slow. Like it was much slower than like what, where my sister was at that age and yeah. from my peers. Yeah. Um, I still wasn't last. You know, I was athletic and being able to, <laughs> of course. <laughs> to run. Um, but like where I think you know, my talent should have been, it was definitely hindered by the prosthetic. But from a kid's perspective, a sixth grader, like I just thought, I was like, I need to work harder. And yeah. I was still loving it because it was what my family did. And I, I I didn't realize that there was such an imbalance in my hips, like things that I know now, you know, like that was not even crossing my brain as a kid. And then I got my first running prosthetic as a freshman in high school. And okay. that was kind of when I would say that my whole world was opened up right. <laughs> my um I had like the first feeling of like equal push off on both feet and having my legs do the same amount of work which I've never had and it was just so much more fun my it, it was where like my ability my physical ability reached my talent and my progression in the sport and it was I was no longer being hindered by the prosthetic I'd found one that had matched my capability yeah and so then it was like it kind of took off from there, and I loved it more. I'm not saying that you have to be successful in order to love no. what you do, but right. it definitely helps. <laughs> it, make, it makes it more enjoyable, doesn't it? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Sure. When you're, you're not fighting it and you're actually feeling like it's making a difference and you're able right. to, the effort putting into it is, you know, meeting how fast you are. So that was, yeah. that was really fun. At a young age, you were introduced to people like you at an event that where you first learned that you could be a good athlete, a good runner, can you share that story with us? I don't even think I knew 
where they were taking me. But my parents had found that the Paralympic trials for, I think, the 2012 Paralympics were okay. being held at the IUPUI Stadium in Indiana, in Indianapolis. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they're like, let's take her. And I was just blown away. I'd never seen people, that many people in a stadium like me. Um, yeah. At that point, I didn't have a running blade or a running prosthetic. I just was running on the one that I was always running on. But um, I saw all these people running so fast with like different disabilities, with running prosthetics, people just like me running and very fast. And um, I was able to meet some of them. They took the time out of their, their race schedule to come down and um, and talk to me. And, and we're still friends today. And it was just like really cool that they were like, well, I mean, like you're you're a female. We need more female runners like you got this, you can do this. And I was like, I can do this, you know? And, and I left that meet and I was like, I'm training for the Paralympics. I didn't have a running prosthetic. I didn't have, you know, like any idea what events I would do, but just knowing that like there was a Paralympics, there was a massive community of people just like me. It was a new goal that I, that was, it was a dream that was born. And what was it? Four years later, I was running in the Paralympics winning gold. So it was a pretty Pretty cool process. And I think a, a big shout out to my wife, Robin, because Robin's always been very good at networking, finding oh, yes. the right people, finding the Dare to Try organization, Chicago, that got us into triathlon. Oh, yeah. Finding the people at that event Grace just spoke of, the right people to talk to, such that after the event, we could come down and meet athletes. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something you just walk up and do. So Robin's, Robin's been really, really good at, at taking the lead on the connections, the work involved in networking and and really helping Grace get started in this field. So big shout out to Robin. Yeah, because otherwise, yeah. like, and it was cool, though, because even though we had now identified the Paralympics and a, an avenue to get into the Paralympics, because, um, like, we had talked about track and field, and that was obviously what I thought I would be racing as. And then I think it was you and mom had sat down and be like, well, hey, look, the triathlon's actually going to be in Rio. Like, why don't you think about that, too? Because it's a 5K. Um, and so they also helped kind of steer me towards triathlon. They found the resources of how can we get you a bike? How can we get you different um, prosthetics for it? Triathlon is way harder than track because yeah. triathlon, you have all these pieces. Swim, bike, run, all that gear. Track, you carry yeah, your shoes. blade, you show up. <laughs> So, you know, the decision to go to the triathlon, we thought about it pretty hard, right? But, yeah. but she was so good at swimming and, and running that it seemed like a natural for her to go that direction. So, Grace, currently you are 25, and you began competing in the Paralympics when you were just 18 years old. As a more veteran runner today, how do you evaluate whether it's better to have a youthful energy like you had at 18 compared to being a more experienced runner right now? And that's funny because I've, I've thought about it a lot. And because I get the questions all the time, like, you know, what would you tell your younger self? Right. And I think it, it's just like extremely different phases of life and mindset. So at 18 years old, I had just started this whole thing with Paralympics. Like, obviously, I was an athlete my entire life, but I didn't really know there was such thing as the Paralympics. I didn't know there was like thousands of people just like me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I um, and so at 18 years old, I was just pretty much going off of sheer talent. I obviously worked really hard. Right. But it wasn't a dedicated career choice of what I'm doing now. Right. So at 18 years old, I was just like stoked to be there. I was so excited. It was yeah. my first Paralympics. There was a not any pressure on me because I was my, it was my first games. I had never won any races, and 
I was just like, let's just go see how fast I can run. And and it was I was more of a good, very good runner at 18 years old um, and compared to my field of competition there. So I was basically just banking on the fact that I could run. But the games and racing at 18 years old, I let a lot of nerves get to me. That mindset was more on like, well, I don't want to fail, you know, like I don't want to you know, make make myself look bad. But it was it was, it was kind of a balance because there was that where I like kind of let the nerves really run my life. But there was also the like, well, there's no pressure. I'm 18 years old, first games to where now I this is all I do. I'm a dedicated athlete. I don't have school in the midst of it. I um, <laughs> like I've chosen to be an athlete and I get to put full attention into the workouts I do each day, the recovery, my nutrition, travel, everything. And it's been really interesting to see how my mindset has changed. But it has been a struggle because in Tokyo, I was in the middle where I just graduated. And I was like, all right, I'm going full in on on triathlon. This is what I'm doing. And I felt like there was a lot more pressure on myself that I put because I was like, well, I chose this. Like if I fail at this, like I should have went nursing, you know? And and I think there was just like a lot more pressure. And I lost a lot of the joy in what I did. Mm. And I was miserable, like it was just not fun, and um, but I, I had to do it. It was also COVID. You know, there was just so many things in those, like I guess, five years between my 18-year-old self and then when I competed in Tokyo to now going into Paris, I really took, like I think, from both mindsets and shifted and created, like I need balance in my life. I need to make sure that I have, I have joy first and foremost. And if that's, if I'm racing for myself, I'm not getting joy. And I kind of recentered on who I am, who I am in Christ, and made sure that I was not competing for myself, not yeah. just doing things because or out of fear. It was more of, all right, like I have been blessed with this gift. I have talent, but I also work really hard. Yeah. But I couldn't do that without like my support team, my family, my strength in Christ. And so knowing that this games is less daunting. Okay. It's more of this is my life and I love it. And I love the the gifts that God has given me. The, the ability to race on this level is insane. And being able to share my story, share my life, the challenges, the the highs and the lows. And so now it's been more, it's more of a balance and a balanced life. Having Evan has been huge because I no longer feel like I'm like searching for that, that like perfect partner that's going to be there and support me you know like you have your parents and family but it's a little different when you're growing up and you're like all right I'm (laughs) in in my you know Tokyo years it was a little more turmoil and finding like the (laughs) staying constant with all right the emotional support but Evan has been huge in that finding a really good coach has been really huge in in that and just like maturing into who I am as an athlete and a person um so yeah it's been a, a fun few years in this mindset. And, and you lead me to really to my next question, but before I go there, you know, for our listeners, you need to know that at 18 years of age, Grace running on sheer talent, won a gold medal in the triathlon and a bronze medal in the 400 meter. That's very impressive. I look forward to seeing what you do in Paris. And then how do you go about training for world championships and the Paralympics? I know coach Jeff Bolander at Cedarville is uh, your, one of your coaches, I think running coach. Do you have different coaches? How does that work for you uh, day by day as you're leading up to like Paris? Yeah, it's been a, a journey building this team. It started, you know, when I was 18 years old and it's kind of morphed itself, changed, different coaches have come in and out. The goal is to have everyone working together to be the best we can be. And so I, I can't do it without each piece. So I have my head coach, Greg Mueller, 
and he's out of South Bend, uh, Indiana. Right. And he orchestrates everything. He writes the swim, the bike, and the easy run workouts, which are just like, you know, the the easy runs that don't take workouts. And he orchestrates during the week when I do things. Um, we're in day-to-day communication and talking about like recovery and how I felt in that workout. And then he'll make changes based on how I respond to that day for the next day. Um, I have a strength coach and he writes the plan for three months, puts it in. Um, I lift two to three times a week and we communicate every few weeks on how the workouts are going. Um, if I have any injuries and just an overall strength plan. Um, and I have coach Bolander from here at Cedarville and I've worked with him through college, post-college and with triathlon. I seem to run the best under his guidance in run training. And so he'll curate a plan for the season and we check in weekly, bi-weekly on how the workouts go. He will send the workouts to me and Greg, my head coach, and Greg will orchestrate when in the week I'll do it. And then we all kind of talk beginning of the season, end of season. And um, yeah, it's just a constant piece of who do we need to add? Who do we need to check in with to make sure that we're all communicating on the right and firing in the right cylinders and we're all on the same page so that way we can work towards success with each other. Why do you think you found greater success running with Coach Bo? I think I... I really like his approach. He's a very, I wouldn't say he's a cautious coach, but he doesn't overtrain his athletes. I've seen a lot of athletes get injured in their running programs. And okay. I, I've i never had that problem with Coach Bo. Um, in college, I saw what you want to see is you come in as a freshman, and by the time you're a senior, you're stronger, you're faster. Each year, you get better. And that's kind of what we've seen each year that I've worked with him here. Um, I, I think his approach is great. He's He's very calculated in the workouts. He knows like exact paces and what you should be in order to be at the goals you want. I think I run better with that because I've had it for six years or so, and it's not anything new. So let's uh, briefly go back to 2016. That's when you won the, the, the gold in Rio. I mean, you're developing relationships with your competitors as well. And one competitor that you've developed a pretty good relationship with is Lauren Stedman from the United Kingdom. Uh, you beat her in 2016. She beat you in 2020. You'll probably beat her in 24. Let's, let's, <laughs> let, let's hope. Um, <laughs> describe those relationships, um, how you balance between, I want to win because I know you're competitive, but this is a friend as well. How do you balance all that? Yeah, it's definitely interesting. Um, I've just finished my 10th racing season for a triathlon, and so some of these ladies I've raced for 10 years. And so, like, some are new and newer faces, but uh, Lauren has been there ever since I started racing. And she was someone that was winning races. She was successful. And I looked at her in the beginning as, like, that is my target. Like, I don't want to be friends with you because that's who I was as that athlete. I was. That's your stage of life. My stage of life. I was like, I, it's a survival mode. Like, I'm going to beat you. And, like, I don't want to be friends. I don't want to smile. Like, yeah. I mean, my parents, like, dad can attest that, like, before any race, even, like, high school, like, you said anything remotely out of my few words that were okay, it was, like, immediate, like, do not talk to me. And, like, <laughs> you did that? Well, you learn what words to say and what words not to say. <laughs> Encouragement, you know, you have to be careful how you encourage and when. And when. Uh, because you don't know exactly where the athlete's mind is. Okay. And you can throw something out that you think is good timing and the right thing. And it can be completely taken a different way by really any athlete. 
So as a good coach, as a good parent, you just have to learn where your athlete is and your <laughs> son or daughter yeah. and learn when and what to say. So you probably don't say like, you've just beaten somebody and you say, you ran a great race, better luck next time. You don't say that. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a, there's, it's, just, it's just giving them time to come to you and talk to you yeah. is most of it and, and seeing where they are and then kind of respond to where they are is probably the best approach. Yeah, I think it was more like before the race, like because he was only my he was my swim coach and basketball coach, so he was never my run coach. And so mom would always know like what to say. It was kind of like, Dad, I'm going to talk to you after the race. Like, <laughs> don't say the hang in there. Like, yeah. just don't say that. Hang in there is not a good thing to say for those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I had that mentality in the beginning around Lauren. I was like, well, she's my competitor, like enemy. Like, no, we are not being friends. Right. And then. um I beat her, and obviously when you win, it's very easy to be like, hey, good job, be happy. And that's kind of, I don't know how I would have reacted if I wouldn't have won to her at that stage of mind. And like 18 years old. Going forward, now I've realized that it's actually not in my best interest to be enemies with people I race. You want to get to know them, and you kind of want to get to know them because then you learn more about how their brain processes things, how they race, how they work. And, and she knows that with me. And we get to know each other's strengths and weaknesses. So when you're out there on the race course, you it becomes a little more familiar. It's not as unknown. And so, yes, I will go and have coffee with her and talk with her. Okay. And we've done training camps together. And she's an amazing person and athlete. But when it comes to the race course, it becomes game on for both of us. Um, where we obviously don't want anything bad to happen to that to the other person. But we're out for, like, we want to win. Um, and so it's a good way to say, like, I am at the place now where I'm confident enough in who I am as a person and athlete to say, like, genuinely at the start line, good luck and have fun. And then at the finish line, be genuinely happy whether she beats me or not. Yeah. I, obviously, like, I would like to win. But Absolutely. in Tokyo, I was able to have genuine happiness for her because, like, I gave my all and I knew her all was better on that day. And so like, you can't be mad about that. Um, And I think that what shows like just maturity over time um, is being able to be happy in other people's accomplishments. I will never succumb to her just because of a friendship. Um, Because I've been asked that question a lot. They're like, how do you balance that? I'm like, oh no, it's still competitive. (laughs) It's still a race. (laughs) I mean, you still can be friends and highly competitive. In in a matter of a few months, uh, you're going to be running in Paris You'll be running against Lauren. What's it going to take for you to be on that uh, gold medal stand here in the American National Anthem? Yeah, I think we've done, uh, we as like the team behind me and myself, um, have done a really good job the past two years post-Tokyo of just um, picking apart my weaknesses and really diving into it each season. And I think we've done a really good job setting myself up for success as far as just continuing to be consistent not being risky with our moves as far as we don't need to push that envelope too far where injuries are potential or sickness and then mindset as well. We've done a really, I've done work of just making sure that balance is incorporated, keeping um, joy in the process. And that's um, made a massive difference Mm. with, I enjoy traveling. I enjoy racing. I enjoy pushing my body and my lifestyle. It's been really, really fun. And so I think continuing to keep keep going on that trajectory, um, I don't really see how it could change. Um, but I mean, obviously everything is not up to me. But no. <laughs> yeah, um, but continuing to trust in God's strength that each day 
I all stay healthy, strong, and when it comes race time, that it'll be it'll be worth it. Yeah. <laughs> so I mentioned, you know, I asked you what's it going to take to be on to get that gold medal. Yeah. Go, going back to Rio, I'm curious. You won the gold, and the national anthem of the United States is played. How did you respond to that? I'd get emotional. Yeah, I did. I did. And like at 18 years old, you don't really realize what you just did. Yeah. Um, you know, like yeah. <laughs> and it, it's funny because. I mean, I was emotional after that when I wasn't really sacrificing anything to be there. Mm. Like, I was still, I was in just graduated high school. Like, I, I wasn't living my life any differently than I would as a normal high schooler. And I was just, I won off of having a good run. And I still got emotional hearing that national anthem because it was my country. I felt pride in it. And I, you know, had qualified to race for my country and represent it in the biggest sporting event for Paralympics, for para community. And I wasn't on home soil. And so it was just really cool to be able to hear that yeah. and know that the two women beside me weren't hearing their national anthem. It only happens if you win. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, it's not a medley. It's not right. a medley. <laughs> yeah, no, it is not. It is just the your yeah. national anthem. And so looking into this coming season with the potential for another gold medal, Knowing how much I've sacrificed and changed my lifestyle and my mindset, I can only imagine it'll mean so much more because yeah. the, the national anthems I've heard so far have been the same. It, it's a moment of pride in your country and in the sacrifices that you've given in order to be at the top of your game as an athlete. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it's it's a... A gold medal. It's not not silver or bronze. I know. I did not hear my gold my national anthem in Tokyo. I, no. I don't want to not hear it again. So right. I agree. So I remember um, just this just came to me. I remember after you won the gold, you came back. I don't know how long afterwards, but you got invited to the White House. You got to meet President Obama, right? I did. Yeah. Every um, every Olympian and Paralympian gets to go to the White House after every games. Um, it's a really special event. They have a massive gala, and all the athletes, para and Olympic, get together. We all get dressed up, and then the following day, we get to go to the White House and meet the president. I went after Tokyo, but I think with COVID, we couldn't shake hands with him. In okay. um, After Rio, we were able to actually shake hands and meet President Obama. He met every single athlete, shook right. all of our hands, right. and said, like, congratulations, congratulations. Um, and then in Tokyo, it was just, we were all in a big, um, grandstands and he addressed us, oh. uh, president Biden. Um, so we'll see what they, if maybe it'll come back to the more personal side, but either way, it's an incredible experience. Great opportunity. Yeah. You've achieved many great accomplishments in your life and Lord willing more to come, including in Paris. Um, uh, how are you able to stay grounded in your faith while you're training, while you're traveling, while you're competing? How are you able to stay grounded? I think it's just knowing that, like, I can't do this myself and having that knowledge. I mean, I could try with there's so many moving pieces in, in everyone's lives. But in my life with different with prosthetics, with travel, like international travel, with all your bags, bikes, everything needing to get there to a race. And then you need to get on the right time zone and not have anything upset your stomach and get on that start line and race. Well, there's so many moving pieces that I just know that. If it was left up to, to me, if I was the sole person in my life doing this, I don't think I would be as successful or I wouldn't have a sound of a mind. Um, I go into each trip, each training day, just asking for strength to get through that and to like with the grace of the <laughs> of if anything goes wrong, that I will respond appropriately. And knowing that 
there's a plan for it. And yeah. even if I don't see it, like I've had several races, um, even this season, where um, either uh, my bike doesn't arrive till the night before mm. or travel gets really messed up or I've had some you know, stomach bug or just very tired. And then during the actual race, you know, something happens where um, a mechanical on the bike or something cramps. And just knowing that, like, I'm not there alone, um, that really helps me a lot. And realizing that um, it's it's not for me, it's for God's glory. And, yeah. like, I he gifted me with this ability and gifts me with it every day to be able to push my body and recover and just live in peace with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't feel like I'm fighting uphill. And mm-hmm. so that makes it very... Yeah. It, I, I just feel very, uh, very blessed that I'm able to do this as a living and then be able to touch so many lives through it. Yeah. Um, and so knowing that, it definitely helps me remember I, I'm not doing this alone. It's not for me. Um, and there you know, several humbling experiences keep you grounded as well. But my husband's been a big part of that, too. He is a strong Christian and leads our family. And it's very it's a great example for me of mm-hmm. he'll, he'll be like, yeah, this is what I read this morning. I'm like, Oh, I need a good reminder. Um, yeah. But he's been an incredible person in that as that's well. That's great. Yeah. That's what I was going to add. It's Evan does love the Lord and it's always good to see outwardly how he um, displays that in his work, his post things he has at the house when we visit. And so that's been a real blessing. And I think that does help grace supports the way she feels and thinks he is a very supporting has been in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we all agree. We all have platforms that have been given to us for different things that we do, whether it's uh, being a distinguished professor at Cedarville, me working in PR, you obviously grace uh, in the Paralympic games. So with a platform, your, your platform is much larger than our platform because you're, you're world known. I mean, you're a world-class athlete. How do you use that platform for gospel purposes? Yeah, it's um, it's a blessing to be on this platform. I think a lot of it is it it's different now than I think what it was when I first started. So now there's a massive social media um, influence, and it's not just of you know people watch me race. They literally have a view into my life if they are watching my social media. And so I choose what I want to post on that. But I I live my life genuinely. And I think people are able to see that throughout if they know me personally, but then if they're watching from a bird's eye view, um, that's been really cool is just being able to do that without any judgment and knowing that like being proud that I went to Cedarville and proud that I I am a Christian and um, that I, I, I don't do this alone in life. But having that platform gives me the ability to speak to many groups of people, um, whether I'm outwardly just, you know, straight out saying like, I'm a Christian, this is what I do sure. um, in conversations. When people ask about my race or ask about life, it's, it's very easy, you know, just be like, Oh yeah, I do this is what I do. But it, you can also be intentional about where you put in, you know, how God is using you in your life, right. how, how you see God in your life. Um, and little things like that go a long way for people, and yeah. they realize, oh, okay, that's that's um, she's she's not doing this for herself. Yeah. And without that platform, it would be harder to share my story, but it's not impossible. And yeah. um, but I'm very blessed with that, just the ability to be able to speak freely and live my life freely, and have um, have people watch and ask questions and yeah. 
Um, it's given me ability to be a mentor to a lot of people, yeah, especially kids and families. Yeah. Um, I just got back from working with the um, Challenge Athletes Foundation in Osir. They put on a massive mobility clinic weekend. And just seeing all the families of parents of these little kids and just they're running around on these little blades and, and they're, they're so full of hope and that I could be a spokesperson for that too. And just living my life as an example to them is incredible. Like I wouldn't be here without without God, without my parents, without right. you know having that strong support system. And if I can impart any of that to them, then I feel like that is helpful and, and given and, and following that. Yeah. And we, we, we all have great opportunities. And I pray that uh, us as who are on the podcast today, today, as well as those listening to the podcast, will take the opportunity that they've been given to um, use their platform for, for greater purposes, for kingdom purposes. Quick questions, Grace, as we close the program. So you've, you've run a lot of important races. We've talked about Rio. We've talked about Tokyo. We didn't talk about the high school race where you made the podium as an athlete who was the only one who was not an able-bodied athlete. What's your favorite race of all time that you ever run? Does anything come to mind? There's so many different like stages, as you said. Like high school, that one is, it was a massive one, becoming the first amputee to qualify and then medal at a state event. Like Rio was massive, and that was around right. the same time. And... Collegiate Championships. Yeah, National... Triathlon Collegiate Championships in Los Angeles a couple of years ago. Yeah, being top three in, I think it was second? Yeah. Second or third, I can't remember. Um, Able-bodied, and that was amazing. And then um, this year I had some solid stellar performances of, you know, winning by two to three minutes, having amazing race, like, runs um, at the Paris Test Event. Uh, Worlds just a month ago, qualifying for Paris at that race. I have never like screamed with excitement across the line, storming like, you know, a very graceful smile. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I learned that lesson because all my photos, I'm like, you know, we got this like yelling <laughs> mouth. And I was like, I think the smile looks better. <laughs> so I learned that. But yeah, I, there's so many different ones that come to mind um, and they all mean something different. But yeah. mm-hmm. um, most Great recent, answer. yeah, the, the, the world's event qualifying for Paris, my third Paralympic Games. That was really exciting. That's great. Yeah. So uh, I mentioned early in the, in the in the program you you did as well that you earned a degree in nursing from Cedarville. Do you see nursing being in your future, or are you just going to stay being a professional runner and enjoy that? Right now, um, I keep my nursing license active. I have not secured a job. I have not really pursued a job outside of triathlon right now. Um, I would like to add it in in the next few years. I think we'll get through Paris and um, then kind of reevaluate and see how long I'll be living in Bloomington, Indiana. Um, if that's something that we're going to stay a little longer term, I can seek out a more longer partnership with right. um, a different hospital or, or a healthcare system. Um, but I, w- I would. I, I loved it. I learned so much from the nursing department here. Um, I think it set me up for a really successful future in nursing, right. if that's something I choose. Right. And I'm forever grateful for that. Um, I do I do love it. It's a passion of mine. Um, it's just when will I use it is it's not, it's not if, it's just when. It's just yeah. when. Well, you know, we've, we could talk all day. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate you coming in uh, to the studio today, Grace and, and Tim. Um, for our listeners, if you want to learn more about Cedarville University, you want to learn more about our track program, Coach Bolander, uh, I encourage you to visit cedarville.edu and just uh, look on our website or, or the School of Nursing, for that matter. We have great programs here at Cedarville, and I encourage you to check it out. That's all the time I have for today, but... Uh, Tim and Grace, thanks for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us. I want to thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. 
You are encouraged to share, like, and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory. Thank you.